0: Hi, and thanks for hitting this news button. My name is Neil Headley. I figured that my lifelong battle with insomnia had a lot to do with my job and waking up for morning television and radio for the past 30 plus years. But I did some digging and discovered that I had a ton more to learn. So in this series, we're going to try to fix your sleep. By figuring out why mine is so horribly broken, and maybe we stumble upon some answers together. A couple familiar voices on this week's show, getting into one subject with two different groups of people. We're talking about COVID somnia, new term that's been coined for the various sleep problems that come along with a global pandemic. Later, we're going to get into the impact that COVID nineteen is having on adults and their sleep with Dr. Sima Kosla from the North Dakota Center for Sleep. You might also have seen her just recently as the sleep expert on Good Morning America. But first, we're going to talk about what COVID is doing to the way our kids are sleeping with Dr. Linnell Schneeberg, the assistant professor at Yale School of Medicine and director of the behavioral sleep program at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. Plus, she's the author of Become Your Child's Sleep Coach. Well, Linnell, even though it's been a little while since you've been on the show, I think the same first question still applies. How did you sleep last night?
1: Thank you for always asking and I slept really well. How about you?
0: Uh, well, I, you know, I'm still a work in progress. Um, at, at least now I feel better about the tracking that I'm doing because now I went from my ridiculous Fitbit to my ridiculous uh, Dream 2 headband, which at least, you know, I think is giving me slightly better and more interesting numbers. And yeah, there's, I, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when I can put all the sleep issues in the rearview mirror, but there's a lot of things that I want to experiment with and try. It's interesting, though, you know, I, I picked a terrible time to be trying to learn how to sleep better because everybody's focused right now on COVID and the crazy dreams that people are having in the middle of COVID and even now there's the new word that we've all come up with COVID-somnia. But it's interesting that I about 98, I would say, percent of the conversation that I hear about insomnia as it relates to COVID has to do with adults. And, and you're one of the few lone voices in the wilderness, you know, talking about how this is impacting our kids. So what are you seeing out there?
1: Yeah, it is definitely impacting kids as well. So I kind of think about it in three domains, right? So schedules are not what they used to be for many most of us, wouldn't you say? And yeah. yeah. And then the physical activity piece that used to help kids sleep well, some of that's gone too, right? For some of those same reasons that we've been talking about. And then anxiety, right? So adults are more anxious and kids pick up on that. So those are sort of the three domains that I see as part of the cause of COVID somnia for children.
0: Is it just a case of reinforcing the things that we were supposed to do all along with sleep hygiene and such? Or are there specific things we should be doing related to this particular interference, let's call it?
1: Yeah, I think there are a couple things that we can add to the usual toolbox actually during these difficult times. So, for example, I think we have to be a little bit more creative about how to get that physical activity in for kids. And sometimes that means that maybe the whole family is doing something together, you know, where a child maybe used to get the physical activity at recess or some sort of school related activity some of those aren't happening in the same ways and so maybe the family changes how they do their own physical activity maybe go together for a bike ride after dinner or a walk in the middle of the day if you're doing some homeschooling so i think that piece you have to be a little bit more creative than we used to be the other time of day that we might want to try a couple of new tools would be the bedtime so for example when things quiet down and we're tucking our kids in at night Sometimes they will bring up things that they're worried about in the daytime. And we do like, of course, to hear about what our kids are worried about. But the problem is that when we associate that with their bed and their bedroom, that's not necessarily exactly what we want to connect. Right. We don't really want to connect worries and deep talks, so to speak, with the bed and with bedtime. Right, because the bed should be a real sanctuary, a real place of peace and comfort and and happiness. So, a, a really great trick is what's called the worry jar. Some people call it worry time. And what that means is that you just keep a little jar in your child's bedroom and some little pieces of paper. And if they bring up a worry at night, you can say, You know what, that belongs in your worry jar for our worry time tomorrow. Let's write it down together. Write it down, put it in the jar. And then the next day, you set aside some time one-on-one with your child, some really special, you know, time with just mom or just dad. And maybe it's about 20 minutes long and you pull the little pieces of paper out of the worry jar and you go through them with your child. And if you have a little time left in the 20 or 30 minutes, you still allot that time to your child for doing something else, maybe a craft, maybe a project. So they still get that one-on-one time with you, whether they fill it all with worry or whether they don't. And it's kind of a really gentle, sweet way to send the message that your bed's not for worrying, but we're going to collect those things that you're thinking about. And we're definitely going to address them, just not in your bed, in your bedroom.
0: Is this a time that you think when we're all trying to navigate what School. I mean, there's still all kinds of areas that are still trying to figure out how to do school properly right now and navigate, you know, are kids in class? Are they uh, learning, you know, remotely? All those sorts of things. We had started before all of this, you know, before COVID took over, we had started having conversations about uh, pushing start times for our kids' schools later. But then COVID came along and threw a monkey wrench into everything because some kids are attending remotely. Some kids are going. Some kids are going half the week. I know my daughter who goes to school, uh, high school just north of you. She goes to uh, South Windsor High. Um, They are in class two days a week. They're remote two days a week. And then I think Wednesday, her school closes um, and, and shuts down for cleaning. And so they're never, they're only basically around their own germs because, so they're in school Monday, they come back Tuesday, then there's a day off to clean the school. And then Thursday and Friday, it's all the kids that weren't there the rest of the time. Is it going to be easier after COVID is in the rearview mirror to have a conversation about when our kids actually start their school day?
1: I think they, I think it is. I think you're right about that. Because remember, there were months and months where no one went to school at all, which meant that you didn't have to log in until a certain time of the morning, um, which by definition was almost always later than when you had to get up to get on a bus. Sure. And what I found with a lot of the adolescents that I see is their grades came up because they didn't have to log in until 9 o'clock, let's say, which means honestly, they didn't have to wake up until 8.45,
0: Yeah, true. True. Just roll out of bed, prop yourself up in front of the screen, you're good to go.
1: Yeah, but before that, remember when they had to wake up? Five thirty, six in the morning. So some of these kids are getting two or three more hours almost of sleep and you could see them thriving.
0: So what is it gonna take for what's it gonna take for us as parents? And and I, I wanna focus on the school. Piece again for a second here. Yeah. What what do parents need to do to use this these success stories as a tool going forward? Because I I'm sure that parents are seeing the improvements in their kids. I I wonder if the schools sort of even have time to notice because they are so many of them just kind of drowning in the logistics of all of it so is this something that parents can sort of put a pin in and and maybe go back to their teachers or their school districts or whatever and say look at what happened to the grades when the kids could start their day later is that the best approach or or what do you think needs to happen next
1: I think that's a great approach. So I think what you have to think about is what are the groups that hold the power in terms of later school start times? And I always think of them as the PTA or PTO, whatever it's called where you live, and the school board. So any parent who's really noticed, wow, my child really did better when they got more sleep, right? And they still did all their work and everything still worked out just fine. I think those parents can be advocates to either the PTA, PTO, or school board, And there's a national clearinghouse now called Start School Later, based in Washington, D.C. And they exist really to be facilitators of these discussions in various communities, right? And so they can help you sort of, where do you go? Do you have any uh, materials that I can use as I'm making my case? But I think what's really happened is some parents who really weren't sold on this whole starting school later idea, it's now just been shown to them. It's right in front of them and they saw it happen, which is one of the silver linings of COVID, I think.
0: Yeah, and I feel like, you know, that's one of those areas. I had a conversation with somebody earlier today. We were talking about the silver linings and this idea that, you know, we get to choose which things we go back to when all of this is over versus choosing... New habits, choosing new pathways, new ways of looking at things, you know, and it doesn't just come down to the offices who are saying, hey, our employees are more productive when they're at home, so we don't need our swanky downtown office space. It even comes into things like when do we start work? When do we start school? Are those things serving us? And it, it also trickles down, I think, to our workout schedules and all those kinds of things. What do we actually want to save and hang on to? when normal comes back. And and I'm I'm grateful I had the opportunity to kind of touch base with you on this because, you know, there are so many parents, I think, who are just trying to navigate their own stuff as well. And so making sure that the kids and their sleep and all of that are taken care of, I hope hasn't fallen by the wayside, but it's good to be able to get an extra set of eyes on it, especially eyes that are as eminently qualified as yours. So thanks for making a little time for us.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. And I think, you know, Helping kids sleep well during this difficult time is a really important piece of everybody doing doing well through it. So thank you for giving me that opportunity.
0: That's Dr. Linnell Schneeberg. Links to her work, including a link to her terrific book, Become Your Child's Sleep Coach, available in the show notes and on our website at thesnoozebutton.com. Now, the impact of COVID somnia in the adult population with Dr. Seema Kosla, board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary disease, critical care medicine, sleep medicine, medical director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep, and the host of the Talking Sleep podcast, published by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. All right, so joining the show again this week from, um, what's it called? North Decovid?
2: Ha. Huh. Really?
0: <laughs> North Decovid it's it, called
2: now? It is a hashtag. Oh, boy. It's a real thing.
0: Seema, I'm sorry. I know. Um, uh, okay, well, first of all, before I, I get, and, and it's interesting, we're having this conversation on the heels of the conversation that I just had uh, with Linnell about uh, what uh, COVID somnia is doing to our kids. But talk to me about being in north de COVID. Um, and, and first of all, why is it north de COVID? Are you having a lot, of, a lot of cases there right now? Per
2: capita, we are number one, my friend.
0: Number, seriously?
2: Seriously, across the US.
0: Okay, so why why is that happening? Is it is it, I mean, it's obviously, you can't point to what people were pointing at with New York City and places like that early on where they were saying it was population density because it's North Dakota for crying out loud.
2: Right, we are the original social distancers. Yeah. That's exactly it. No, you know, and it's hard to pinpoint, but I think a lot of it has to do with messaging and beliefs and You know, there isn't a mask mandate in North Dakota, you know, in in Fargo. Um, I live on the Minnesota side and we do have a mask mandate. And so it's just, it's very interesting to see how people react uh, on the Minnesota side versus the North Dakota side. But um, no, I mean, it's time to reevaluate because clearly what we're doing is not working. We can't just rely on how socially distanced we are, especially, you know, it's getting cold, it's already snowed once. So we're gonna be inside a lot more.
0: I, it's interesting um, when you talk about the, the social distancing part of it because the, the, the horn I've been tooting for months now is that, you know what, six feet was never really. I, I don't know if there exactly. is anyone in science that I'm aware of that actually thinks six feet is effective. We settled on six feet because uh, people figured that six feet was manageable for the general public.
2: Right. As opposed to 17. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cause it's, that's exactly the number. It's supposed to be yep. 17 feet, but yep. everybody looked around and went, nobody's going to do 17 feet. Let's just tell them it's six because six is better than zero.
2: Well, and that sort of came out of earlier data too, right? And then they and that's the whole thing. This is new. It's okay that we didn't know at the beginning, right? But we need to adapt as we learn more. We can't just hold on to this idea of wearing a mask is oppressive, right? It's it's yeah, it's inconvenient. I don't like wearing a mask either. But let's not confuse inconvenience with oppression.
0: It's right, not the same exactly. thing. No, they're totally not. No, don't even get me started on the whole conveniences thing because I was on, uh, uh, one of the things I do in uh, in my multiple other lives is I sit on national television on Saturday mornings and they make the mistake of asking me for my opinion on things and I went off uh, this, this weekend uh, in a discussion about conveniences and how the reason that the numbers are where they are. I said, look at New Zealand. New Zealand yes. went into a lockdown and eradicated it until they let some people in who brought it back. That's how you do it. I said. Apparently, in North America, we are so much more concerned about our conveniences than we are about our health. We're whining and complaining about. Look, one of the big stories here uh, in in my neck of the woods over the weekend was that they closed the gyms in the toronto area but about oh a half hour's drive north of toronto in that region the gyms are still open and so all the people from toronto are bringing their germs into all these suburban areas and now you're starting to see cases in the suburbs because all the people from toronto are showing up at the gym and i'm just stop stop with the going to the gym Stop. Well and that's
2: when did we stop caring about our neighbor? Like, that's the thing that really bothers me about this. That yeah. we're so caught up in our own world. You know, at what point did it become okay? Like I would love to drive two hundred miles an hour in my car. Right?
0: I don't <laughs> right.
2: right. Because right. it's not safe for other people.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exact And that's a perfect illustration of that. Might be one of the best illustrations of it I've ever heard. Um, but let's, uh, okay, so let's climb off the soapbox for a second and get down to the, the, what that does for you on a day-to-day basis. I mean, not to violate anyone's doctor patient confidentiality, but, um, is, is, COVID having any kind of an impact among your patients? Is it having any impact with your practice?
2: So I thought I was in a bubble, you know, doing sleep medicine, it's outpatient, it's not urgent, right? I've had 11 patients with COVID. What? Yeah. And it's surprising, and of course, it's escalating. I think I had three in a day last week, and you know, from a, so so, if I put my little scientific sort of sleep geek hat on, we look at CPAP downloads, and we're like, "Ooh, I see this change," you know, and it sort of correlates to their symptoms, and then you know, you see that their sleep apnea isn't as well controlled, and then as they get better, you know, the numbers get better. So you know, from a scientific standpoint, it's kind of interesting, right? Um, and then we'd have these new conversations with our patients about, well, is it safe to wear your CPAP? We know oh, that CPAP, sure. right? It's aerosol generating. And so we know that that makes, if you are sick, it makes everything spread further. So then that becomes dangerous for your bed partner, right? And, and the recommendation is to isolate.
0: Okay, so, so what does... COVID, and I'm I'm assuming it's probably different for everybody, but what does, is there, is there a baseline of here's what COVID does to your sleep?
2: <laughs> so we're seeing Like everything. how is it
0: showing up for you?
2: For me, I'm seeing um, a, a change in the control of their sleep apnea. So the CPAP machine, it, it's really kind of a cool thing where it measures airflow and then it calculates how many times you have stopped breathing per hour. And we know that you know, our goal on that download is to make sure that you're less than five an hour. Right. And so sometimes we'll see this transient increase when people have allergies or if they have surgery or they're on pain medications or something like that. And we're seeing something similar with COVID. We're also seeing um, sometimes people will have just a ton of usage hours where all of a sudden they're sleeping like 12 hours a night and you look and it's like a week and you're like, what is happening right now? You know, 18 hours and you're like, okay, hang on. What is going on right now? And it's because they're not feeling well. And then of course we've got this flip side, this other group of people that can't sleep they've got this terrible insomnia. And so some of it is sort of not related to actually being sick with COVID. It's the anxiety about getting it and stress about work and stress, you know, that whole thing, right? But then there's this other really real thing that we're seeing when people have COVID and they're recovering, that there's this weird insomnia that some people are getting.
0: And so, is it just, I mean, it, I, I'm assuming it becomes more difficult to treat the insomnia. And do you even treat the insomnia because once the COVID is gone, then you've shifted again with whatever was, co- you know what I'm saying? Like,
2: aha, but the, there lies the rub, my friend.
0: Ah, because
2: sleep is important to help you heal. So, if you're not sleeping, you're not going to get over your COVID.
0: But doesn't the treatment probably, and, and this is me absolutely displaying my layperson <laughs> colors in full bloom, doesn't, won't the treatment change because now it's COVID that is related to the insomnia?
2: Yes and no. You know, sometimes we'll just, we'll resort to a sleep aid just to let them get some semblance of sleep. You know, let them have a little bit of ambient or something, you know, get into a better sleep pattern because some of it is anxiety and some of it is, you know, this idea that if you know that you're going to struggle with your sleep, you put it off and put it off and put it off. And sometimes you just need to reset. Now, having said that, if they've developed new sleep apnea, for example, which we sometimes see after people get really sick with any sort of pulmonary thing, uh, we absolutely look for that too.
0: Wow, okay. It's a whole world. And, and, and I mean, you talk about it being outpatient. I mean, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess nobody's clamoring to get into a sleep lab right now.
2: Yes and no. Again, you know, we do have, um, (laughs) so for us in Fargo, we've had to shut down testing a couple of times just because the, the, um, the amount of COVID in our communities has gone up. And so we always wanna make sure that we're being safe because, you know, it's our patients, it's the patient next door and that's our tech, right? So we've gotta make sure that they're safe and we have them in PPE and we have viral filters and we have this whole, you know, the whole shebang. Um, Some people really wanna get in to get an answer, right? And, and, you know, for us in the US, COVID made a lot of people meet their deductible. And so now they're like, I need my sleep study now before you end. Right, which you guys don't get, you know, you guys don't have to worry about. But it's a very, very real thing for us, and so yeah, we have that year-end sort of push. That yay, I've met my deductible. Now let me catch up on all the stuff I probably should have done, (laughs) you know, earlier this year or last year. Let me me catch up with it now. New years, it's true. Get me in. Get me in before year end. Uh, And and so you know, and it's interesting when you look at patients who have been who have been in the ICU with COVID, they have a lot more of of what's called this encephalopathy, where they have this delirium, and you know they're there, but they're not there, and they're just sort of, of, in the South, we used to call it out of your head, they would talk out of their head. And so, you know, you have to reflect and say, well, is it because their families aren't there to help sort of reorient them? Or is it truly the impact of the virus on your brain? And then is that part of the insomnia, right? Like there's a million questions and there really isn't a great answer yet.
0: So much yeah. for the bubble.
2: <laughs> and so we just, you know, it's a matter of just, you know, you, you treat every patient as, as you know, a patient and what works for one isn't going to work for the other. And you really try to tailor it for, okay, well, let's walk this back. And what do you think will work for you? What do you think about nighttime yoga? You know, what do you think about CBTI, you know, about behavioral therapy? What do you think about these various gadgets? You know, what are you comfortable doing? What about a sleep aid? Right. And the philosophy is if you start a sleep aid, you have to have an exit strategy. It's just too easy to be on Ambien forever. Yeah. (laughs) So we always plan that, too.
0: So, I mean, is is there, is there any kind of silver lining in this where, for example, you know, there are people who have found good things that have come from Mm -hmm. COVID-19. Is, is there, are you seeing, like, is it easier to maintain sleep hygiene, for example, because of COVID or any of those things? Is there anything good that's going to come out of this for anybody's sleep?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a silver lining girl, so I'm forever looking at silver lining. So A, I think people are paying more attention to their health overall and their sleep. B, people are getting more sleep. It, not everybody, but sort of the, the people that are able to work remotely, for example, they're not driving. So I have a guy that drives like 111 miles each way, and now he's actually getting two hours more sleep, which is great <laughs> because I've never sure. been able to win, you know, with that one, uh, just because he had so many demands on his time. You know we are seeing that people are sleeping in they're usually getting a a higher um, like more hours of sleep and so for a lot of people that were chronically sleep deprived all of a sudden they feel great
0: and yet when all this is over we're going to have to go back and that's going to be interesting too
2: but i hope we learn from this you know earlier we were talking about school start times and we talk about this with my kids all the time, that um, you know, we're going to have to get back into the swing of sort of normal school hours. And in Minnesota, they've been pretty forward thinking about delayed start times for, for middle school and high school, uh, but that isn't the case across the country. And I'm hoping that we're going to learn from this and recognize that kids do do better when we are more respectful of their circadian rhythm.
0: It's going to be interesting at a time when companies are time shifting because people are working from home and it's, you know, and there's more flexibility and all those sorts of things, you know, we get to choose what we carry forward from all of this. We get to figure out what things when we emerge on the other side, we want to go back to that were a part of our old. Normal. What do we want to bring forward from the old normal into the new normal? And what things are we going to carry forward with us that we've just discovered? Like, you know, offices shutting down their swanky downtown office space and all those kinds of things. Um, It will be interesting to see if this flexibility and the performance bump that some companies are seeing from their employees working from home, and maybe their day doesn't start until 10 o'clock and maybe this and maybe that. It'll be interesting to see when we've spent so much time prioritizing our health, if we continue prioritizing our health when we don't have a a pandemic to worry about.
2: I, I hope so. Although, you know, I, I read something where they drew parallels to the uh, pandemic, the 1918 pandemic, Mm -hmm. and then they traced it out to, is this why we had the Roaring Twenties? Because people were so, they needed to do something, right? That was just very hedonistic. They needed to go out and dance and drink and have a really, really wonderful time. Uh, And then, and of course then we had the Great Depression. (laughs) And so is this something that we're going to follow, right? Or can we learn? Can we say, yeah, we all want to blow off some steam? Like, I know I, for one, am going to enjoy flying to conferences a lot more when I'm actually with my friends versus a virtual. I mean, a virtual conference is convenient and it's very cool. And I watched the plenary session in my jammies, you know, which doesn't go over so well in real life. (laughs) But, but, you know, I missed my friends. And so I am going to really cherish those moments a lot more than I have in the past. You know, and for me on a day to day basis, I do telemedicine every day. And I hope we I hope we keep that. I think it's been really helpful for our patients.
0: It's, yeah, that's one thing that uh, Michael Grandner and I have talked about and I've talked about it with a couple of other, you know, not sleep related psychiatrists and psychologists as well, is that they're talking about this idea that um, because of telemedicine, their patients have discovered that they don't have to go through the burden of jumping in the car, finding a place to park, yada, 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 dealing with traffic, all those things, so that when they, when they begin their therapy appointments, they're actually calm and in a good place. And they haven't just walked in, you know, from having been flipped off by 17 drivers and (laughs) argued with someone over a place to park. And then you walk into your therapy session and you're frazzled. So there's a whole pile of people in that world who are going to walk away from this and go, actually, you know what? I, I yeah, I'm gonna close my office space and I'm just gonna continue seeing my patients this way because it's better for my patients, the outcomes are better and they are in a better frame of mind when the sessions actually start. So maybe that's another one of those examples where, hey, we learned how to do this cool thing and look, we're gonna continue doing it going forward. I hope there's more of that than there is of the roaring 20s. But you're right, when it becomes safe for us to all get on airplanes again and all of those things, there is, I mean, it's inevitable. There's gonna be a boom for the travel industry, for Mm -hmm. example, when we come out on the other side, it's gonna be interesting to watch how long the boom lasts and what we learn in in the, because I know what'll happen is the boom will start before we're actually ready for it to start. Yeah. And then there'll be a whole other wave and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So it's going to be an interesting roller coaster ride. And then we get to go and ride roller coasters again someday (laughs) too, which.
2: Well, I hope that we all are going to be better about washing our hands. I hope we're going to be kinder when we finally wrap our brains around the idea that what I do impacts you and I hope we sit back and recognize that our behavior directly impacts other people and it doesn't take a lot of effort to just be kind, extend somebody the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's okay to disagree. We don't have to rip each other's heads off about it. Let's have a civil discourse. You know, I hope we learn from what we've gone through for the last, what, seven, eight months now.
0: Links to the North Dakota Center for Sleep and to SEMA's podcast are in the show notes and on our website at thesnoozbutton.com. There you're also going to find ways to leave us your comments, your criticisms, your reviews, even to donate and support the show or to ask a question of our panel of sleep experts. Till we get together next time, thanks for being here. My name's Neil Headley. Hey, get some sleep, would you?